save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Yeah, for me, it was always, you know, if, if someone needs help, you help them, especially if they ask for it. But but if they don't ask for it and you know about it, you know, you, you go help them. You know, my dad would my dad would show up to my grandpa's farm just to just to help work on some projects here and there because he knew he was working on them. Let's go. Welcome to Citizen today. We've got a very special guest, Eli Bell. Am I pronouncing that right? I'm just kidding. It's like the easiest name ever to pronounce. I think even Ross, Ross could probably yeah. even get that one right. Um, so I uh, appreciate you coming on today. Give us uh, some background on yourself. Tell us who you are. Man, I'm just a regular guy. I think people might be a little disappointed to hear that I'm not real interesting, not real special, but um, just a real small town guy. Um, grew up in the in the woods in northern Pennsylvania and uh just I try to stay involved in local stuff you know I, I'm involved in uh when I went to college I got involved in a fraternity it turned into being involved in Greek Senate while I was in college uh, a lot of community service as a as kind of a a result right but built that sense of community with uh you know a spread out group throughout upstate New York and northern pennsylvania and when i came home i got re-involved in a lot of the local stuff with the fair mm. you know when i was coming up through in high school i showed goats through 4-h and coming up through there i i just decided you know i'll kind of give back a little bit and and help the next group of kids do the same kind of stuff i did so well, what kind of stuff are we talking about you you grew up on uh on a farm or some shit yeah, real small dairy farm up the road that was my grandfather and grandmother's, and it passed down to my uncle. So, you know, Friday nights were spent staying up at grandma's and helping feed calves and stuff. And then, you know, in the summer when hay was to be done, mm -hmm. we'd go do hay, you know. Cool. Pretty small operation, but it, it builds that sense of community and gets a little hard work under your belt at an early age. Yeah, I mean, it's a good – I honestly – regardless of, of what your upbringing is or where you are, I think it's always an important lesson for a young person to learn <clears throat> or to uh, associate their sustenance, their shelter, their food, whatever it is, with some kind of work product, right? It's an effort being made. It, that seems kind of, it seems kind of obvious, but it really isn't. Um, we've had like when we had Steve Ranella on the show uh, for Mediator, by the way, uh, if you don't, if you're not familiar, we had Steve we had Steve on the show, and he's talking about even when he lived in New York, he would take his kids out to the park and forage for things like teach them what you know plants you can and can't eat, uh, trap pigeons, uh, you know, kill squirrels, shit like that. Um, so it's you know, it, not not everybody lives in a small town. Not not everybody lives. Uh, near a ranch or, or, a, or a farm or something like that. But there's always ways you can teach that lesson at a pretty young age. And I think it's a, a super important thing to do. Yeah. That's something I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I read, I'm like 98% through Ronella's new book mm -hmm. there, the raising outdoor kids in an inside world. And yeah. I think it's great. And I'm reading it because I have, you know, a two year old and a newborn at home that I want to have a similar, you know, ethos of thought, you mm -hmm. know, I, I feel like I got some good morals and I got some good work ethic and things growing up that, that I want to be able to pass that on to the next generation. Sure. And what is it? Uh, so th this is something, this uh, uh, exposure to work product and outdoor life and things like that. It was something that was just kind of naturally available to you, right? Yeah, it really was. I mean, 
my parents lived on, they ended up during my childhood purchasing 200 acres of that whole farm. Mm. Um, there's probably 600 in all between uh, some of my older family and they, they bought 200 of it to help, you know, pay their retirement, you know? So I had, I had woods right across the road, right in my back. I think I may have lost your audio there for a second. Yeah, it there. was detecting a feedback loop on there. But. Yeah, I've got you now. Um, so you know, you came out of this, <clears throat> out of the situation where, you know, plenty of exposure to modern life, but also you know a little bit of the uh, of the old way of doing stuff. And out of that, I, I, I'm curious how you think that experience dovetails into uh, some of the issues that we see in the United States today, I guess, uh, and also just the West in general, but particularly here in the U.S. Well, um, I think for me, I, I think it dovetails well because I, I'm seeing things and realizing things that I think the I got a little less of that participation trophy mm. those in my upbringing and you know, there's like that Charlie Brown meme that floats around Facebook and Instagram. It's like stupid should hurt. Mm. And, and I don't think enough people realize that stupid should hurt. You know, when you do something wrong, you shouldn't be rewarded for it. You should, you should feel that pain at, on some level, right? Depending on, you know, the escalation of force of how stupid of a thing you did. But, sure. you know, people don't realize there's consequences behind behind what's going on. And I think that cascades into a lot of people's political beliefs. You know, they, they think it's okay to have everybody else foot their bill. Sure. Well, I mean, I got, think... I got school loans too, and, and yeah, they'll yeah. probably disappear if this whole thing goes through, but I don't think that's right. I don't think that's the proper way to do it. I sure. should be paying off my own loans. I took them out. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's like, I, I think a lot of people agree that that is the, ethical way to go about doing things. And I also think people agree that it's best for society when we go about doing, uh, go about things that way. But I would add that it's also better for the person, you know, the individual involved to hold them accountable for whatever it is, like it from the earliest possible opportunity as a human being. Uh, an easy metaphor is like you're trying to teach somebody, let, let's say you're trying to teach them math, right? And they keep getting the problem wrong and you keep telling them they're correct. Now, how the fuck are you helping them learn math? You know what I mean? That, like right. that, you would never actually make any kind of improvement in that scenario because there is no feedback. There's no real feedback. It's just bullshit. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. You, you can't, I mean, when you're helping somebody because they need help and you're going out of your way to do it, that shouldn't be a, that shouldn't be a government mandate thing. It shouldn't be a, it shouldn't be something that's forced upon people. It should be, it should come out of a moral and ethical responsibility to do so. It shouldn't be an edict from above. Well, you can't legislate morality, right? Like the people are either going to do the right thing or they're not. And they're going to do the right thing when that's what's expected of them, not when it's what's demanded of them. And that may seem like, you know, I don't know, a silly distinction, but I want to unpack that for a moment. So it mandating versus expecting is do what I say, not what I do rules for thee, not for me. So if you expect, if you're a leader and you expect things to go a certain way for people to behave a certain way or to take action, a certain way in a, in a particular circumstance, then the best way to ensure that happens is for you to do it your fucking self. You know what I mean? To lead by example. That's how people will follow. Um, if you say one thing and do another, that then you're forced to mandate. And this is why <clears throat> it's why no form of government scales, uh, but particular, uh, particularly ones that require specific behaviors out of people, uh, like socialism, communism, things like this, they require participation from people uh, uh, at, at an institution level for them to work properly. And people don't want to do that shit. So you have to engage in authoritarianism at some point to make it work properly. Now, the problem with 
representative republics with democracy, with capitalism in general, is that it still requires the same effort for it to be successful, but there's no way to mandate that stuff because it immediately becomes fascism, basically. It immediately becomes authoritarian if you try to mandate anything in a system like this. And, you know, people look for leadership to do the right thing. You know, in the 1950s, we had a whole different set of problems, uh, you know, various forms of, of segregation and, and uh, oppression and things like that. But the general sense in communities was if somebody needs help, you help them, regardless of what their political beliefs are and that other bullshit. Now, now we just have a totally different set of problems here, but it's the same thing, right? We see people in leadership positions not doing their jobs and that that's it's just not going to inspire anybody so anyways you get into uh you you come out of this uh uh what what probably isn't a very uncommon experience i mean i i experience a lot of this as well living in a city but also having quite a bit of outdoor time um and for some reason you decided you started this organization fraternal outdoors can you tell me what that is and how it started yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's more of an idea than it is anything. Um, just, uh, a whole lot of my friends and a whole lot of my fraternity brothers and alumni. Um, we, especially with, through the fraternity, we were kind of known as the outdoorsy fraternity at Alfred state. And, uh, we went through and we, we made a point to, you know, do less parties in a, in a fraternity house and more parties out in the woods at a bonfire. And it was like a, like a half mile up a hill on the backside of a, of the other university across the street. So it was, it was a quite a haul for a lot of kids. Mm-hmm. For most of us, we were kind of trained to do it. It wasn't a big deal to, and it was a big deal if we brought a keg it was the only time it was really a big deal, but uh, we'd go up there and we'd have, we'd have more of an outdoor ethos around us. And, and we tried to do outdoor things, go camping, stuff like that. And as we got out of college, we missed that more and more because we had that camaraderie amongst each other. So uh, Fraternal Outdoors started as a way of us just to kind of share our, share our stuff that we were doing outdoorsy in, in each of our places. And, and then it turned into an idea of just, you know, an excuse to get together and do more of it. You know, this past weekend, me and one of the other guys, we got together and worked on our duck boat, camped out at a little cabin on my, on my property. So, yeah. So, uh, uh, is there, is there like an outreach portion where you're trying to get other people involved here? There is. Yeah. It's, it's still a little on a local or, or, a, you know, our, our group basis, we're trying to drag people out, get them outdoors more. Um, it's, it's in early stages and we're, uh, you know, we're trying to get some podcasts in the can. We've got some audio saved up that hopefully in October we'll be throwing out, but, but yeah, we're trying to, we're trying to make it seem fun and, and make it seem very achievable for everyone. And that, so, uh, yeah, talk to me more about that. What, what, are, what's the goal, uh, short term and long term of the program? Obviously, short term is to get exposure and stuff. But what's your long term goal with this? I, I'd, I'd love to just uh, make the outdoors more achievable for everyone. What do you mean by achievable? Uh, there's a lot of people that you know they just they it's a lot easier to sit at home and watch Twitch or a lot easier to play video games. It's, they know how to get into it. It's second nature for most kids my age to, to be on the internet instead of outside. But the, you know, the, the feedback you get when you're in the outdoors, the, the, you know, the way you feel when you're out of service and your phone's in your truck and you haven't touched it in, Mm. in 20 plus hours, you know, it's, it's a different feeling and it's a good one. So you you want to uh kind of show people through this program that there's something to be gained I guess from unplugging and and going back yeah. out there and experiencing nature with your friends and shit that's kind of the goal. Yeah. Yeah, that and and like I said a little bit of hard work doesn't hurt either. You know, we we kind of show we've got the farm property and there's always something broke down so we uh we don't you know, we don't steer away from uh, showing that we got some stuff going on that we're fixing and we're still making time to get outside. What kind of farm is it? What do you guys do up there? 
it's mostly a hobby farm at this point. It's the 200 acres. And then um, my mom still has, and my wife, you know, there's a handful of goats and a couple horses and a sheep, but you know, it's 200 acres of property upkeep. So there's always, there's always something going on. There's always a tractor broken down or hay that needs put in or. Yeah. I would imagine. So that's a, there's a, <laughs> I can't even uh, find the time to take care of my, small acre and a half uh lot at my house right now so yeah I mean, meanwhile my, my yard is like six or so inches of grass in some of the spots well it's I, like, back, I back up to a river and that it just grows like crazy it's like being a mechanic you know what i mean mm-hmm. like your car your personal car is always fucked up uh for some yeah. reason you never time find time um all right good that's a good base um, I like the idea of getting outdoors more. I think it's interesting that we have <clears throat> as a society, um, as we've grown out of the necessity to do some of these outdoor things, um, a lot of people begin doing it as a hobby now. Right. And yeah. I, I th- <laughs> I'm not, I'm not sure why a lot of people get into it as a hobby. My sus- suspicion is that they, uh, they crave that experience like to feel useful and to feel like they've, well, you are, you, there's something called the Ikea effect and it's, um, a, a psychological principle where even if you purchase a product that's 80% complete, even if you just assemble it yourself, you feel a greater sense of ownership over the product than you would have otherwise. Right. So in that, Look, we're not all we're not gonna all gonna be cattle ranchers and shit like that, but I think right. I think it is why a lot of people gravitate towards uh, camping or home improvement or curing meats or making fucking sourdough bread or whatever it is because they want to feel like they've created something of their own. I think there is like an, an intrinsic desire for human beings to have built the things around them, even if you know what I mean. It's only the finishing part of it, so. It's really interesting to me that we've kind of turned all the things we used to do just to have, just to fucking stay alive. Now we, mm-hmm. no, now those are like hobbies that we do on vacation. It's really interesting. Yeah. It's, I think it's some of that, it's that positive feedback that you feel, you know, that, mm-hmm. that Ikea effect, you know, it, it does feel good, especially when you build your own fire and cook your own meal on it. You know, that, that meal will usually taste better than anything you cooked at home. Oh yeah, even if it sucks. It could be even yeah, it could be shit ingredients. Yeah. You didn't want anything particularly heavy out with you, but sure. But food tastes better after a long day at work, either way, right? Even if it's, uh, uh, I mean, it's almost like the more bored we get, the more we bitch about stuff that doesn't matter, and that's always been interesting to me because you know this a cynic would say, well, just keep yourself distracted, but it's not really. You're not really keeping yourself distracted. Those things don't matter. So you're, you're, right. what you're really doing is focusing on shit that does matter and not distracting yourself. That that's not the same thing. Like it, if your house is on fire and you look in the other direction, that's distracting yourself. If yeah. uh, you know if your house is on fire and you put it out while you ignore the neighbors bickering, that seems a lot more appropriate to me. Um, anyways, so we we do this every show we talk about principles um yeah you chose uh two four and eleven i'll go in that order <clears throat> so let's start with principle two i'll do something every day to help my country my countrymen are all men can you kind of tell me what that means to you or yeah or I mean, tell me why it jumped off the page to you i guess yeah and and i'll start off by saying all of the all of the principles to me you know they they're good you you've got a really good list there and it makes it hard to pick a top three, but, um, I think a lot of them mesh together and everything that, you know, they kind of play off each other. But as far as two goes, um, I think that's just part of the way I was raised. And I think it's something everybody should be cognizant of. I think, you know, it's not impossible. It's not that hard. And even if it, even if you don't hit it every day, it's something to strive for. Um, it's really easy to pick up some trash that you're already walking by. It's really easy mm. to, it's really easy to hold the door for the next person. It's really easy to, you know, you've got 18 items and some dude walks up with 
one thing and he's behind you and there's nobody else and you just hop in front of me man you're gonna be in and out of here you don't need to wait for me to check out with 18 items when you've got one you know just just common courtesy stuff really will help with all people and there's bigger stuff too and i you know when we were emailing i had put in there like there was a weekend that me and some of the other guys that contribute for the fraternal outdoors we were getting to getting together to do our very first work call on this duck boat we've been messing around with and we did community service for this one family that has a small like eco resort mm-hmm. out in belmont new york called Pollywog holler and and i saw the wife of you know the, cu- the couple that owns it and she had stated how flooding had come through and it just wiped out they've got foot bridges and stuff that get yeah. them back in these little you know these little off the, off the grid cabins and things and they just didn't have the manpower to fix it and so i called the guys and i said hey you know it'd be a little fucking selfish of us to sit here and work on a duck boat that we don't really need like it's going to be great for us if we have it going but you know this is their livelihood right so, so we i called the other two guys and i said let's meet now for new york you know, grab a couple of the active fraternity brothers, a couple of guys that happen to be in town. And we got like six or eight guys out there to help fix bridges and shovel out where the, all the silt had built up and created a big floodplain. So it's, it's choices like that, that you can make that come across in your life that, that contribute to principle too, in my opinion. So, sure, yeah. well, you said um, <clears throat> at the beginning that part, this is, this whole thing is part of the way you were raised. Can you give me some examples of like your parents or other authority figures when you were a kid encouraging this type of behavior? And the reason I ask is so like people are often uh, uh, one of the biggest barriers to entry to doing things like this is, is not having concrete examples. You know what I mean? And it, it's not yeah. like they're going to go out and do exactly what you did or what your parents or whomever did, but it does, you know, kind of jog the, the brain a little bit and let you. You know, yeah, put you in that mindset, anyways. Yeah, for me, it was always you know if if someone needs help, you help them, especially if they ask for it. Mm. But but if they don't ask for it and you know about it, you know you, you go help them. You know, my dad would my dad would show up to my grandpa's farm just to just to help work on some projects here and there because he knew he was working on them. You know, tractors broke down, he'd show up and start start hooking on the hay. And it's not necessarily just my folks. You know, we small community might. My aunts, uncles, grandparents all lived within a couple mile radius. So, you know, I had the freedom to run up and down the road with a little go-kart with no freaking roll cage on it and just zoom up and down the road and go help with little, little tasks here and there. You know, I, I was playing or something and mom knew that grandpa needed help up at the farm. Yeah. Hey, go see what your grandpa's up to. Okay. You know, what, even if it was just being the wrench monkey, just, going and grabbing him tools and bringing them to him so that he didn't have to crawl out from under the tractor a hundred times in a day. So just little stuff like that, rounding up cattle, you know, somebody's animal got loose, you know, going, going, getting on the four wheelers or hoofing it by foot and looking around or if a, if a cow freshened out in the, out in the pasture and, you know, you didn't know where the calf was going and wading through the jing weeds looking to, looking to find it so yeah i mean it's uh so one of the things i tell people a lot is to uh well i I hate this whole this whole attitude of self-care these days i think it's absolute nonsense like taking mental health days and shit like that is fucking dumb to me i i that that to me that is society doing this the a toddler falls and you run over and you know coddle coddle them and they immediately as a response to that attention they want to play it up because human beings want more attention and they uh, uh lean into being a victim and if you do it enough then that becomes their identity victimhood and that yeah. is that's what this shit is. It's not about everybody needs help from time to time, physically, mentally, whatever. I'm not saying that you shouldn't mm-hmm. get mental help help if you need it. What I'm saying is that <sighs> coddling people always has 
the worst possible effect on them. It never works. I've never seen a single instance of that working. It, it doesn't make any fucking sense. So anyways, <clears throat> in that vein, what I tell people a lot is don't let your problems or frustrations inconvenience other people. You know what I mean? Like if you, mm-hmm. a good example, uh, you're not paying attention when you're driving and, oh shit, there's my exit. I'm not cutting people off. You know what I mean? Right. I'm going to the next exit. I'm the one that fucked up. So I'm the mm-hmm. one that should have to spend the extra time getting to where I'm going. It's not everybody else's problem that I fucked up, even if it wasn't on purpose or even if it was, it wasn't even, uh, wasn't negligent. Like, oh shit, this is fucked up. It's not that I fucked up, but it is a fucked up situation. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. I guess I got to go deal with it. You deal with your own problems. But the inverse of that is also, as you said, and it's something that was just kind of the way you raised, be mm-hmm. on the lookout for people who are inconvenienced that you can help. You know what I mean? Like if you've got the solution to something and somebody's right over there suffering because they don't have the solution and you decide to keep it to yourself for whatever reason, jealousy or anger, you don't like them, you're too busy, whatever it is, you're a piece of shit, in my opinion. Yeah. That is completely I, unacceptable. Yeah. And I've been on I've been fortunate to be on the back end of that this past year as far as, you know, I've I've been inconvenienced, if you will. You know, I've had a, a bad run of luck with tractors being broken down and things needing done around the property. And my father passed away last October and that just left a real big void in, in getting stuff done around. Mm. And, uh, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the friends and fraternity brothers that I went to school with saw that and they knew how much work I was trying to get done. And they're like, Hey, pick a weekend. Hey, pick a weekend. Hey, we're coming down. Hey, what do you need? And, and that's the kind of that's the kind of friends I'm so glad I have around me. And I, I hope that everybody has at least a handful of those kind of people in their lives because that's that's the building blocks to a better moral culture. Uh sure, yeah. I mean, every <clears throat> every good deed that you do, every selfless act that you perform, is an investment, and in, not just in making sure that you are a better person. And that the people around you are, are have have a good, uh, uh, true north, I suppose, for for morals and ethics, but it's also an investment into a bank, and it's it's insurance, right? It's social insurance. It is insurance that I want this system to exist where my buddies or the people in my community are going to come help me when I need it. So I'm damn sure going to be here all the time when they need it as well. And you can't do one without the other. We, we're in me, 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 me. We're in me culture. And it's like, why wasn't somebody here to help me? Because you weren't fucking there to help anybody else. That's why. And if enough of us ignore that responsibility, then we get what we have today, which is a self-absorbed, pathetic culture that, that doesn't give a fuck about morals or ethics. They care about being correct. They want to be right. They want to they be able to spike the football and say the other side's wrong and celebrate, but they don't give a fuck about it actually being the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, the second um, principle that you chose is the leadership principle, number four. No matter where I am, I'll be a leader, and as a leader, I will eat last. I think to to me, this, so this is um, all of these principles are going to be chapters in the book that I'm working on. This is one that I, this is actually the one I'm working on right now, and I think this is the most important one because leadership, in the same way uh, that fitness or diet is commonly associated with single task, right? Like I'm going on a diet for X amount of days, or uh, my, my fitness is tied to these different faddish workouts or whatever the fuck. Um, right. people think of leadership as individual moments where you tell somebody what to do or, you know, punish them for being disobedient or whatever. But in reality, it's, it is a 24 hour a day job. It's, it's a lifestyle to be a leader. Uh, and we yeah. didn't, we didn't used to have to talk about this stuff because people just knew it and they did it. But it seems like now we're, we're, Society is like a fucking five-year-old again. We're having to teach it 
all the basics yeah. of being a decent human being. So, um, tell me, uh, why this particular one stood out to you as well. Well, yeah. So like I said, I've been involved in a lot of, you know, nothing huge, no huge organizations, but I'm involved in several organizations and I've seemed to find myself in the, you know, in the decision-making portion of the group in quite a few instances and whether I wanted to or not, but I've been pledge masters, I've been presidents, chairmen's VP um, in several organizations now. And, and I take it pretty seriously when I'm put in those positions, whether I wanted to be there or not, that they are counting on me to do what's best for the group and do what the group wants, not to, not to do what's in my own interest, but to do what's in the interest of all. So, you know, taking care of those that put me there ahead of myself is paramount. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, the, to me, the best leaders aren't, they're, they're not simply people who are, uh, a hundred percent selfless all the time. Uh, because I think there's gotta be a pretty good balance between empathy and accountability. You know what I mean? I agree. Uh, the best leaders usually aren't the most strict. And, uh, you know, the, the really interesting thing is the best leaders often aren't the best at their particular job. Like if you look at, uh, it's actually pretty rare in professional sports for the best player on the team to be the clubhouse leader as well. You know what I mean? Like the most physically talented person isn't always the best leader. The best leaders are often built because they weren't the best at things and they had to work harder than everybody else. Um, and I think it makes you more self-aware, you know, it makes you know what your faults are and it also lets you know what your strengths are. And I think these people, the best leaders around us understand that the greatest among us are motivated by compassion to some degree. Right. I, I think it's very, it's, it's very uncomfortable to watch somebody else suffer if you're a good person. Um, and there's also some level, uh, I, I like to unpack this cause it's really interesting to me. There's some level of ego involved as well. Like there's, it is an audacious thing to be a leader sometimes. Um, one of my favorite baseball players, uh, Chipper Jones, used to say, uh, he referred to it as necessary arrogance. Like you've got to know that you're good at this. Otherwise, you're not going to perform very well. And the audacity to challenge the norm, to attempt to rewrite society in a way that makes sense, to build things that uh, mankind never thought it could even, like the leaders who who – we decided we were going to go to the moon in 1961 and we did it seven and a half years later. Um, well, maybe I'm just kidding. Uh, it's deeply rooted in ego, that whole thing. And I think this is really important because everybody has this concept of self, this idea of who I am and what I mean to the world. And I think leadership role especially former leadership roles but even in smaller groups and i'm sure you've seen this at the at the fraternity level where you know weak or weak people or bad actors will try to wedge their way into leadership positions so they can dominate other people but that's not the reason that you should want that um because we, we fall and pray to the the fleeting whims of egotistical people quite a bit uh, in human civilization i mean more so than good leaders i would say those have been common and you know capricious and selfish people often find themselves famous or wealthy or in leadership positions because uh as as i like to say the um people that desire power very rarely deserve it there's something about that desire for power that can corrupt you so i think the ambition to excel is always present in those types but i also believe it's present in good people as well uh the difference is the best leaders don't associate success as we define success with personal gain or status or any of that bullshit. Instead, they routinely 
tie their fortune to the success of their mission. You know what I mean? Like I want to be the best this and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to be the best this. Now, if you're talking about building the best society, I think you have to look at um, Augustus Caesar, who Octavian, who became Augustus Caesar. Um, he he rose to political power in the second triumvirate, but it was after being like a student of Julius Caesar and seeing all the mistakes that were made from the first triumvirate and all this stuff. Um, and massive ego, right? Huge ego on this guy to think that he should be emperor. You know what I mean? Uh, he dissolved the Roman Senate, became emperor for life. But what he did was associate his ego with making sure that Rome was safe, that Roman citizens had jobs, that people weren't starving. Um, he wanted to build the best possible society for his people. That was his, that oh, his entire ego was wrapped up in that. And the Pax Romana, uh, roughly a 200 year period when Rome thrived is the longest period of peace in Roman history by a wide margin. Right. Um, and it finally ended after Marcus Aurelius, but, um, like strength and a duty to Rome was what really marked that period of leadership. Um, and when weak despotic men followed, so too followed the fucking destruction of the empire. Like it, it never recovered from that shit. So, The same, I feel like we're in that phase now. Oh yeah, well, with America. So that this is this is why I, I went on that rant uh, right there is because the same ego that drives people to get involved in both informal and formal leadership positions exists in shitheads as it does in good people. Like good people see stuff that's fucked up and they're like, all right, somebody's got to fix this. And mm -hmm. you know, not for nothing, but you're somebody, so fix it. You know, that same drive and ambition can be utilized for good. And, you know, it comes through in all sorts of ways. Uh, one of them being what you guys are doing now, which is trying to even even to a lesser informal degree, trying to create some kind of institution where people who don't know what to do can find out what to do. I think it's a really important thing. So what kind of leader are you going to be, you know? I don't think you have the option in this country to not be a leader at this point. It, like if you're, if you're somebody that thinks like we do, which is liberty first, taking care of other people first, from your perspective, like I don't see how you can not step up and take a leadership position and do something. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like I've been compelled to to step into most of the roles I've I've stepped into in some form or fashion. You know, when when I first joined the fraternity, you know, I saw that we didn't have a fraternity house. You know, we were still living on campus and hiking up into the woods for our parties. Not that I wanted to lose the hiking up into the woods part, but you know, it's it's real easy as a fraternity to get in a lot of trouble when you have a bunch of dumbasses getting together and being goofy in the fraternity or in the, excuse me, in the row houses mm -hmm. and stuff. You know? So being off campus gives you a little more ability to, to let yourself loose a little bit without that added uh, disciplinary level of campus. So we, you know, I took it upon myself to go into the house manager role. I got us, you know, with the help of one of our other fraternity brothers, we got off campus. And because I did that well, they were like, yeah, make him, pledge master because i was apm while i was doing that so started putting through some guys and you know i put one of our largest pledge classes through which is only 30 guys it's a small local fraternity and we were one of the smaller of the small local fraternities which meant when when the campus needed people to do something you know other fraternities would send one tenth of their of their guys and they'd have enough people we had to show up 90 percent so you know, keeping that organized. And, and because I put through a lot of guys at that time, we had an active house of around 30. We, uh, you know, a lot of them went through under me, so they trusted me. So they wanted me to come up to president. So I did. And what, when you were president, how did that change things? 
Um, it, it just more organizational. And then the new guys were getting brought in under somebody else, you know? Uh, so. when you say the new guys are getting brought in under, under somebody, I don't, I don't know that, uh, I, I was never in a fraternity. I was a national honor society, but not a national fraternity. So I'm not sure how that all works. Can you explain that a little bit? Uh, the pledge master is kind of like your, I guess you'd, you'd call him like your drill sergeant. Mm. And then your, your president's just above that. Who's kind of overseeing the whole group. So he's in charge of your sergeants and everybody else. And your uh, fraternity was um, Mu Theta. It was, yeah. And what's uh, I'm not familiar with them. They're just a little local out of Alfred State. And how have you? Do you check back in now with the guys that are running it now? How's it still going? Well, um, <laughs> fraternities are way on the downcline, at mm. least in uh, at least in Alfred. Um, many of the smaller fraternities and sororities are down to just a few people, ours included, mm. but, uh, you know, they're, they're doing what they can to stay above water and, and still do the things that we were there to do, you know, have, have social, social ties to each other, to keep each other close and to help in the greater community, you know, doing a lot of community service. We've got some alumni that live close by to there. They, they go over and help on his little farm. From time to time, they still they still do outdoors camping and stuff like that. It's a lesser scale because it's less people, but but I'm I'm more focused, I guess, on the alumni side of it now because I'm chairman of our alumni mm. board for five six years now. So, all right, folks, we got some advertisements to keep this show on. First and foremost, BlackRifleCoffee.com. You know them, Evan, Matt, Jared, Lunatics. But the coffee's really good. Join the Black Rifle Coffee Club and you will get fresh roasted freedom delivered straight to your door. I mean, you're not going to get... The coffee is really good. You're not going to get better coffee anywhere, right? Especially not delivered straight to your door like this. And, you know, the coffee club is specifically designed around what Evan, who is a giant coffee nerd wanted out of his coffee purchasing experience that's how he uh developed the entire thing you know what i mean so it is designed with you in mind with the customer in mind black rifle coffee is a veteran owned and operated company and supports uh america's military law enforcement and first responders you can get premium coffee delivered every month choose your favorite roast rounds and delivery schedule anytime that you like and it'll show up Whenever, uh, whenever you tell it to. Members get free shipping and access to exclusive partner discounts as well. So now's the time to sign up. Get 20% off your first order with the code CITIZEN. Go to blackriflecoffee.com and get those deals. Next up, GhostBed. They get the best beds in the world. They're offering 40% off for GhostBed bundles where you get a mattress and an adjustable base. And 30% off everything else if you use the code DRINKINGBROS at ghostbed.com forward slash drink it bros you can get a mattress for about 25 35 bucks a month they've got a zero percent uh down zero dollar down financing plan for up to 60 months and even if you're not looking for a bed or an adjustable base um the sheets the pillows the weighted blanket the mattress topper it's all excellent all of its cooling uh for you know big sweaty dumb guys like us and you know they're a good company they take care of us so Reach out to those guys. Make sure you get those deals while they're still there. Next up is Babbel. Babbel.com forward slash citizen. They've got a new deal going on right now, actually. So if you're like me and there's a foreign language that you regret not learning in school, or if you, you know, learned a little bit in school and it just didn't stick, because let's be real. American public education is not where it's at. It's never too late to start your language learning journey with Babbel. Babbel is a language learning app that sold more than 10 million subscriptions thanks to Babbel's addictively fun and easy bite-sized language lessons. You can finally start learning that new language and cross it off your list, man. Uh, 10-minute lessons. Um, you can do as many as you want a day. You can set reminders and, you know, uh, you, it really can start having 
actual conversations in a new language in as little as three weeks if, you, if you're very diligent about this. Other language learning apps use AI for the lesson plan. Babbel is created by actual language uh, experts, people that do this for a living, for, who teach this for a living. Uh, and all the dialogue is voiced by real native speakers, not computers. So you don't have that weird robotic voice. You have an actual person that knows what they're saying. So your accent doesn't end up all jacked up down the road. Uh, their teaching methods is scientifically proven to be effective. There's 14 languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German, and they have speech recognition technology, another uh, thing that will help you with your pronunciation and accent. So there's a lot of ways to learn uh, podcast games, video stories, even live classes in addition to the lessons. And it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. So start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. Right now, this is the new deal. Get up to 55% off your subscription when you go to Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash citizen. That's B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash citizen for up to 55% off your subscription. Babbel. Language for life. And next up, we've got Simply Safe. Go today and get your free indoor security camera plus 20% off interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash citizen podcast. Here's a question for all of you. Is there anything that matters more than the safety of your loved ones? Of course not. So isn't it strange then that many home security companies don't behave that way? That's why I use and trust Simply Safe Home Security. Their advanced security technology helps me sleep at night. They also put me and my family's safety first. And here's why I love it. Because it's the easiest thing to set up. Well, I mean, the service is really great. The, the cameras are good. The, uh, the, the service, the monitoring is really good. But it's so easy to set up. I think this, that's a main barrier to entry for a lot of people buying new security systems is how difficult it might be to set the whole thing up. Well, this is not difficult. Not in any way. With 24-7 professional monitoring, Simply Safe's agents call you the moment a threat is detected and dispatch police or first responders in an emergency. Even if you're not home or can't be reached, meaning if you're traveling out of town and your family is at home alone or you know there's a fire at your home and you're not there or whatever. Their monitoring agents truly care about your well-being and are highly trained to help keep you calm and safe during stressful situations. Uh, that plan starting at a dollar a day, right? Uh, no long-term contracts, no hidden fees, no nonsense. Um, because feeling safe at home should not break the bank. And also, having cameras inside of your house allows you to... One of the, one of the things I use mine for is to look at what my dumbass dogs are doing during the day. I'm not going to lie. It's just, that's only for my own entertainment. Uh, so customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes. It's simplysafe.com slash citizen podcast. Go today and you'll claim your uh, free indoor security camera. That's the one you can spy on your dogs with. Uh, plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash citizen podcast. Again, that's S-I-M-P-L-I safe.com slash citizen podcast. I wonder if it might um, be possible. I, I, I know it would be beneficial, but possible to expand on something like this and have more, um, more community service based fraternities on college campuses. I think, uh, you know, not, not only does it actually help the community, but again, I'll go back to this. Um, reassociating the idea of problem solving with solving other people's problems is yeah. a pretty good thing. It, it's, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it isn't just the, the physical actions that build community. It's the general sense that everybody's, you know, pitching in, I think, mm -hmm. um, what we know about child raising, for example, <clears throat> and you can uh, you can read about this in the 21st Century Guide or Hunter Gathers Guide to the 21st Century, um, which is a really good book. What all of our studies show is that when a child feels more secure, when they know their parents love them, when they know that um, they're going to support them no matter what they do and things like this. Uh, but they also have like a, a like a they also have discipline, I guess. Then what what happens is the child takes more 
manage risk and learn skills faster and um, becomes more social. And all this additional stuff happens during the development stages. And I, I can't help but think of what, what's happening to kids who transition from high school to college who, regardless of what may have happened to them in high school or in their home life, now they're on their own for the first time. And every authority figure in their life is telling them that they should think more about themselves and other people. You know what I mean? I, it, it, that, that shit is fucking poison so far as I'm concerned. So I really do think that having some kind of formal institution like this at that level, regardless of how you feel about universities, people are going to continue going. So it's not a problem that we can just ignore. So I really feel like it would be a really good idea to have. I think. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, I think kind of tangent to that or or maybe parallel to it, I guess. um, I think some of the big downturn that we're seeing in, in fraternities and sororities in, in like recruitment is that, you know, they used to, when they go to college, they would leave all their friends and family behind to go to college. Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, but now the way the internet and technology is, they're not leaving anybody behind. They're, they're still gaming. They're still talking to these guys on a regular basis. So that sense of community isn't felt the loss of it isn't as as pungent anymore so they don't have to look for new friends when they get to college so they aren't expanding their horizons and meeting new people the way you know the way people my age did when i first went to college they they can they can get on twitch or get on get on some gaming discord Mm -hmm. and, and chatting with their buddies and playing games and it feels like they never left home whereas when i went to college you know i had I had like a little track phone that was supposed to be for emergencies only unless I could scrape up some money to buy some extra minutes for it. And, and, you know, talking to people was not as easy. But it's a good point though, because you came to, um, you came to basically meet a bunch of strangers and, and the only thing that you really had to offer to them, like one, you, you were, put into a situation where you're forced to interact with these people. And then the primary thing you have to offer them is uh, your social competency, which is deeply tied to, you know, empathy and shit like that and understanding other people and also just your values. Right. And maybe your values are good. Maybe they're okay. Maybe they're great. Maybe they're bad, but that process of meeting up with other people who have different values and, you know, doing so from a position where you're forced to get along with each other is super important because you have to understand why people feel the way they feel about certain things. You have to understand that it's okay that you don't agree with them. You know what I mean? On certain things because they're in a different situation than you. You know what I mean? Like if somebody's got diabetes and they're drinking water and you're pissed off that they're not drinking whatever you are, you're a fucking idiot. Like they've, they have to do that part or maybe they even just feel like they have to do it. So I think that process is super important for people and it's been ultimately corrupted in a lot of ways. I mean, one, there's predatory teaching elements out there that are doing, but also I think you're, you're onto something. It's not being able to disassociate from, from home or from whatever, you know what I mean? How, how are you supposed to learn what it means to be an adult human being in America when you just stick with your same hometown bullshit your whole life? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. When I, when I came to college, I got roomed up with a guy from like West Nyack. He's black with dreadlocks. I came from a little town that had a whole, you know, the black population was like one person mm. at that time, literally one person. And, you know, I came and we hung out and we started swapping stories and we were in the classic dorm setup where the beds yeah. are across each other, just sitting on them. And it was like a moment out of step brothers. Like, did we just become friends? Yep. Yeah. And we hit it off. Great. And my friends started, you know, I started making other friends via classes and, going out to parties and stuff. And he had a couple friends that had joined him from college that were on the cross country team. And that social network just started to mesh and grow. And then some of those guys ended up, you know, pledging other fraternities, people that met my group ended up pledging my fraternity mm-hmm. and social network just grows and grows and grows until there's more people than you can name. And if I just sat on Twitch, the moment I got to college, that wouldn't be, happening. no, that's that. Yeah. Terrible. Uh, thing to do. Um, so when you're, when you're pledge master and you're in a, uh, 
you're in this particular type of fraternity with that kind of mindset. What, what's who, who are you looking for, for, for pledges? Like what, what's, if you had to, you know, put a job posting out there for it, I guess, what would that look like? Uh, you know, we're, we're looking with guys that mesh with the group. They're not necessarily, they don't necessarily have to be anything like us. They don't have to fit the mold. You know, there's no perfect mold for a guy. We've got, we've got guys from every walk of life, you know, but, but what we really look for is do they get along with a, a good group of the active house at that time? Do they, you know, do, can they carry a conversation? Can they mesh with us? Do they cause trouble? Like if they're not, they're not causing trouble, they're not being an asshole, then they're probably able to get a shot. And then for Alfred state, pledging is limited to four weeks that changes all over the place from college to college, but it's four weeks in Alfred. And uh, during that four weeks, we start going through, you know, these are, you know, we've got our own own principles and code of conduct type of stuff that we, we work through within the fraternity to make sure that they're, you know, on board with all that stuff and work through some lessons and do some, do some hard shit sometimes. Cool. We also we also go through and say, hey, you know, anything we do with you guys, any of these activities, if you're not comfortable with it, say something. We'll sit there and do it with you. You can mm-hmm. call out any brother that's standing here, including your pledge master. And if you don't like that you're doing jumping jacks because none of you bothered to fill out your pledge book, <laughs> then we'll jump in and do the jumping jacks with you because we've been there. We've done it before and we'll do it again because we believe in the process. Sure that was kind of the ethos that we really tried to tried to have. Um, yeah, that's good. It's what, what I discussed before. You can't ask people to do shit that you're not willing to do. That's not leadership. And it's, right. it's all like at, at, at any level, whether you're a parent, whether you're an elected official, whether you're uh, a teacher pledge master, it doesn't fucking matter where you are. If you ask people to do shit that you're clearly not willing to do, then Nobody respects that. Um, the last one you wanted to talk about is 11. I'll live a life worth dying for. What does that mean to you? Uh, to, to me, I mean, there's, there's tons of folks like yourself that have done an even greater service to this community through military or government service. And, and there's many who, who paid the ultimate price for that. And, and I feel like it's, uh, yeah, as a citizen of the United States, it's bearing the benefit of those sacrifices, I think it's very important that we, you know, not take it for granted and live, live in a fashion that is worth that sacrifice. And, and uh, walk me through some of that. Like, how does that work for you uh, on a, on a, any given day kind of situation? Yeah. For me, for me, that kind of, that's that's an overarching thing and then for me as far as uh my own moral compass that helps me feel like i'm doing that is uh actually a, a set of our own principles that we did through the fraternity mm-hmm. um had to do some revamping at the time i was active just because of some of the uh school rules and policies you know trying to get trying to get in accordance so that we didn't fall under you know some hazing regulations mm-hmm. and like that we had to revamp some things so they changed the protocols and uh one of the things we developed was uh, a set of well to to lay it out there's there's four pillars of greek life mm-hmm. that everybody gets and then um you know we're, we we decided hey you're building a house right those are your pillars but where's your walls mm-hmm. and and we call them the walls and we have confidence loyalty integrity and perseverance and we uh you know, it, one of the guys I put through, he was a Marine and he was damn near 40 when he pledged. It was kind of weird. I was like 22 and he's like almost 40. I was his pledge master. So that was kind of fun. But he's like, hey, can we turn that into an acronym? I'm like, sure, man. What do you got? He's like, clip. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's that that word circles in my head all the time when I come to a decision point where I got to put thought behind it. I go clip, you know confidence loyalty integrity perseverance and uh the one i feel comes in a lot well the middle two really loyalty and integrity you know doing the right thing when nobody's looking 
and doing the right thing for your friends and the people who have who've shown loyalty back to you. You really mean a lot to me. Yeah. So. I mean, loyalty is a big deal. I think uh, we the, the idea of patriotism gets wrapped up in loyalty a lot, but I think it gets misused quite a bit as well. Yesterday, uh, we're recording this on Monday the 12th. Yesterday was the 22nd anniversary of 9-11. And, um, <clears throat> you know, we all remember uh, the victims of that and then, you know, the people who stepped up in, in the wake of that tragedy. But we also remember the way that our patriotism was leveraged against us to create a police state, a surveillance state, and to waste trillions of dollars on wars that really didn't accomplish anything. You know what I mean? And it sacrificed quite a few lives uh, and some of the best lives among us. You know what I mean? So whenever I talk about loyalty, especially in the sense, in this sense uh, of being a citizen and a, and a patriot, I think it's really important to remember that it is the constitution right that we are all loyal to not one particular political party and certainly not one politician or another um it's the ideas behind that that you know individual liberty and personal entrepreneurship owning your own shit the rights of man those are the most important things that exist and we are we're loyal to that and if you are also loyal to that then not only am I loyal to you, but I consider you a member of my family, right? This is, this is our tribe, people that decided to, for the first time in human history, tell statists and authoritarians and patricians to go fuck themselves. And we're going to create our own government. Well, unfortunately, statists and patricians immediately showed up. I started trying to uh, you know, leverage our circumstance and patriotism against us. But <clears throat> that's our fault. That shit only happens because we allow it to happen. And that's my challenge to people when they say, I, I, I talk about this particular principle with people a lot because it's like support the troops. All right, what does that mean? Like, oh, you know, you got to live a life worth dying for because people have died for you. Like, all right, cool. What does that mean? You know, and it means to me, and I hope, you know, this resonates with other people, but it means to me that the ideological foundation of this country, self-determinism and liberty are worth dying for no matter who benefits from it. Right. And our, our, our intent should be to ensure that everybody benefits from it. Uh, it, it only liberty only exists if it exists for everybody. You know what I mean? And it also only exists if we flex that muscle, if we flex our liberty muscle from time to time, uh, whenever you, whenever you kneel instead of standing tall in these tough moments, then everybody else has to carry the weight in your stead. You know what I mean? It's like the log drill in buds. Uh, if you quit on your teammate, then they have to carry that extra weight. It doesn't just go away. The weight doesn't go away. But the good news is also that while the weight doesn't get lighter, you do get stronger. But the only way you get stronger is if you continue to flex that shit. Um, so, you know, maybe it seems silly to, to, to make a big deal out of small things that the government's trying to do, right. As they're, they're eroding your Liberty, but every single inch they take is an inch that we won't get back. Right. So, um, don't just, they don't just give them back once they have a hold of them. Well, I mean the T so the TSA was supposed to be a temporary measure. That, that organization didn't exist. It was supposed to be a temporary measure during this brief period. And today, I think we spend, um, phew, hold on, I got to look it up. I think it's $80 billion. Unreal. We spend on TSA. Um, just the checkpoints cost $5 billion a year. Wow. Um, yeah, it's it's billions and billions of dollars. So seven, the the latest full fiscal twenty twenty two or twenty twenty, it was um, eight billion dollars per year. Unreal. And you know this is something that wasn't even supposed to exist. Uh, yeah. The Patriot Act is still in effect right now. Mm-hmm. We're we bomb Yemen about thirty times a day. Nobody knows why, right? Like yeah. it. This is all stuff that, like, hey, this doesn't affect me. Well, 
It does, right? Because while you're distracted with all the silly bullshit at home, you're getting your uh, you're being robbed blind of both your money and your liberty here. You know what I mean? So yeah. again, to me, the whole <clears throat> the loyalty thing, the the impetus for living a life to honor these people, to honor the system itself, is it's a lot more than just saying it. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. If you don't have a a moral compass or a, or an ethos behind those words, then then it's just lip service, yeah. right? Yeah, for sure. Well, cool. This has been uh, a really good episode. I like like at the top of the show, you kind of bemoaned the fact that you're an, an ordinary person, but that's you know that's one of the things we like to do here. I don't want to just talk to people who who uh, are in the media or are celebrities and shit like that. That doesn't help. Like there are, for those of you out there who live what you would consider to be ordinary lives, there are people just like you doing uh, extraordinary things like your, like yourself, for example. So I appreciate you coming on today. Is there anything else you would like to share with the audience before we get out of here? I don't think so. I, you're too kind. Uh, like, like I said before, you know, I am, I'm just your average guy, couple kids, wife. I got loans. I work every day just trying to trying to make a small difference in my local community. But um, I really appreciate what you're doing with this podcast. I think it's a great thing. I think it, it's a conversation that we need in America right now. So cool. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on today. We really appreciate it. Uh, tell people where they can find you, find your organization on the interwebs. Yeah. So mostly Instagram, Fraternal Outdoors on Instagram. We've got a Facebook page you can follow as well. It's usually just cross-posted off from Instagram. Um, coming in probably October, we should have some launch on YouTube and podcasts. Cool. Well, uh, again, thanks for coming today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yep. And thanks you all uh, for listening. This has been Citizen. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.